This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. One of the campaign promises made by President-elect Joe Biden dealt with student loan debt, which is around $1.6 trillion right now. And there's an idea out there about erasing all student debt. But a new paper from researchers at the Wharton School and the University of Chicago say that uh, erasing massive amounts of that type of debt may be a mistake because it might end up being a windfall for families on the upper end of the economic landscape and hurt those on the lower end. The researchers behind that paper join us right now. Sylvain Catherine, who is uh, assistant professor of finance here at the Wharton School, and Constantine Yanellis, who's assistant professor of finance at the University of Chicago. Great to have you both with us. Thanks very much for your time today. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, then. Thank you. So, uh, Constantine, I guess I'll start with you. Lay out this case for not canceling all student debt. Well, I don't, I don't want to lay out uh, a case because we're not partisans here. We're academic okay. research, uh, researchers. But what I can tell you uh, is what we find in the paper. And uh, what we find in the paper is that directly forgiving or canceling uh, student loans is a highly regressive policy. Basically, most of the benefits will end up accruing to upper-income individuals. And the reason for that is very, very simple. Um, people who go to college tend to earn more, and people who have gone to college for more uh, years, like doctors, uh, MBAs, and uh, lawyers, tend to earn more than those who just did a four-year degree or a two-year uh, associate's uh, degree. Uh, so we also find uh, that there's another policy that, is um, more progressive in that more of the benefits accrue to the middle class, and that's expanding income-driven repayment plans that link payments to income. So, Sylvan, how much of this $1.6 trillion in, in student loan debt right now do we believe is being held by upper-income families, and, and maybe how much more being held by middle- or lower-income families at this point? Uh, yes, uh, so it depends a little bit how you look at it. So people traditionally just look at the balance, and one of the innovation of our paper is to say, look like the balance. It's it's a little bit more complicated because the balance is forgiven after 20 years in payments, and so people who are in the lower part of the earnings distribution they might pay less than their balance before it's forgiven, and so to some extent the present value of their debt is much lower than what the balance uh, seems to indicate. Whereas like people in the upper part of the distribution, they are going to reimburse their loan, so their debt is like $1 for $1. Uh, so when you take this into account, uh, like more than like two-thirds of, uh, of the total uh, debt is going to be concentrated in, in the top 30 or top 40%. And, and Constantine, I, I, as you kind of laid out, uh, people with the the uh, uh, with uh, higher income brackets, they were the ones that probably ended up taking out the larger loans to to pay for college or, as you said, uh, pay for that uh, that secondary degree as well. Exactly. And any um, uh, policy that is a universal loan forgive, uh, forgiveness policy or a cap uh, forgiveness policy, say forgiving debt up to fifty thousand dollars is going to give most of the dollars uh, in forgiveness to upper-income individuals. And actually, uh, that, that problem is compounded if you look at the present value of the loan and actually account for the fact that people at the bottom of the distribution aren't going to pay much of their loans uh, anyway, or they're going to pay them 
later than wealthier people. I, I Sylvan, I, I guess for me, one of the questions that has been out there has been this differential between, you know, eliminating all student loan debt or giving everybody that has a loan a ten thousand or twenty thousand dollar cut in the amount of money that they have to pay right off the gate. Can you distinguish the impacts between those two elements? Yes. Yes. So something that might be very counterintuitive and that was counterintuitive to us too is that actually like for for example forgiving only ten thousand dollars might actually be more regressive than forgiving everything. And like the intuition for this is that if you have thirty thousand dollars of student debt, but you will only reimburse twenty thousand dollars over like the next twenty years after your graduation, then if I reduce your balance for thirty to twenty thousand dollars, that doesn't change anything to your situation because anyway you would only have reimbursed twenty thousand. And this is something that was a little bit missed in the debate and that is actually very important and we we need to make those simulations to realize actually like how like this kind of like partial forgiveness actually works on who actually benefits because there are a lot of like counterintuitive things that are going on. Would it be safe to say, Constantine, though, that there there is a need to look at something that would be able to address this issue in general? Maybe not necessarily giving it, you know, a, a complete erasing of the debt, or maybe it's not giving the, you know, the, the, the $10,000, but is there a need because of the amount of debt uh, of, of trying to address it in some way? A- absolutely. And, and one thing that often gets missed in the policy debate is that we already have a very progressive um, loan forgiveness uh, program. It's called income driven repayments. So the way that these, um, plans work, there are a couple of them with slightly different uh, names, is that borrowers pay 10 or 15% of their income above 150% of the poverty line. And then uh, if there's any remaining balance after 20 or 25 years, that ends up being uh, being forgiven. So if people are low income for a long period of time, they actually end up paying nothing and their loan is completely uh, forgiven. Now, one option that hasn't received a lot of attention is simply making these income-driven repayment plans more generous. For example, raising the threshold above which borrowers pay from 150% to 300% of the poverty line. Now, we analyze some of these options, and we find that expanding the generosity of income-driven repayment plans uh, or enrolling more people in these plans uh, actually leads to the benefits of forgiveness going to the lower middle and the middle class rather than the top centiles of the income distribution. We're joined on the phone by uh, Sylvan Catherine of the Wharton School, Constantine Yanellis of the University of Chicago. We're talking about a paper that they have put together uh, looking at student loan debt and, and why potentially erasing student loan debt may end up being uh, a negative because of the impact that it would have on uh, different economic incomes uh, across uh, the United States. So when you look, Sylvan, at at lower income people that have gone to college or have taken out student loan debt, what is the greatest impact you see if you move forward with this type of program, specifically looking at at, at people on lower incomes? Yes. So, for example, if the policy that was described by Constantine was put in place, so, for example, having this income-driven repayment program that only, like, 
garnishing uh, wages above three times the poverty line. Someone who is single, so the poverty line is around $13,000 in the U.S. So if you only take earnings above three times that, uh, that means that someone who earns uh, $40,000 a year on his single is not going to pay anything or like very little, and then their, uh, their, their balance is, is going to be forgiven after 20 years. But someone who earns like 100 or $150,000, for them that makes absolutely no difference uh, to change this, uh, uh, this policy. That's why we find that most of the benefits are going to accrue to, uh, to the bottom this side. And, and obviously, Con- oh, I'm sorry. Constantine, obviously, if you're somebody that has gone on and gotten your graduate degree, chances are you're going to be making a very good salary to begin with. And you would have more wherewithal to be able to pay back that student loan in the first place. That's exactly uh, right. So uh, borrowing is very strongly correlated with the number of years that people spend in school. And in most cases, but not uh, not all, people who spent more time in school are in professions like medicine or law. And they're earning very high salaries and able to pay down their student debt. Now, of course, that's not true for all people who went to graduate school. I mean, some people struggle for whatever reason, and that's uh, one of the strengths of these income-driven repayment uh, uh, plans. Uh, so if somebody has a high debt balance, you know, they went to law or medical school, and for whatever reason, things didn't work out, they don't have to make those very high payments. So there's insurance built in for borrowers. Sylvan, what do you think is the takeaway from, from the research you've done then? Uh, well, the takeaway, I think, is like, is like the thing that you described at the very beginning. So we have to be very careful about with those policies because they might sound progressive on paper, but they are very regressive. And so we, we need, if we want to address this problem, we need to actually uh, do some quantitative exercise. And uh, it's not just about emotion. We need like to actually like... Uh, look at the numbers and look what uh, what are the impact of like to do some kinds of like policy uh, evaluation to uh, to not because it's a lot of money as you said 1.6 trillion dollar we can do a lot of other things with that money or we can like use it uh, in an efficient way but in any case we need to run some computations before we can spend uh, that kind of money. Great having you both with us. Thank you, Sylvan. Thank you, Constantine. All the best. It's great work. And it's obviously a very important subject that we're going to be talking about in the months ahead. Thank you both. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you. Sylvan Catherine at the uh, Wharton School, Constantine Yanellis at the University of Chicago. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.